Welcome back to Avowed Cast, the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG video game titled Avowed. We're not affiliated with Obsidian in any way, but would happily sell them some water in Stellar Bay real cheap. My name is Sora, and I will be today's host as we talk about management mechanics in RPGs. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, this is when they ask you to manage your own home, faction, organization, castle, town, merchant, whatever. In this episode, we will ask the question, are management minigames and RPGs effective? Are they fun? Is it worth it? Plus, we'll speculate on how Obsidian might try to incorporate this kind of mechanic in Avowed. The drowned lady casts her dark eyes over my kingdom. Well, of course she does. It is without compare. Uh, welcome to the Vatcast. Today we have uh, quite a few people joining us and we have a very interesting topic. We're going to be talking about uh, management systems and video games and RPGs in general. And then we're going to go into how P- Pillars of Eternity used uh, different management systems in their game. And maybe even contemplate what we might see in Avowed if they're going to try it in Avowed. Um, so we have quite a few guests today. I'm just going to go down one by one. Tell me what you've been up to. Jed Mandu, welcome aboard. Uh, so actually, uh, a friend of mine set up a, a dedicated server for uh, Valheim World. So I've been playing a lot of Valheim, um, which is an awesome game and sort of uh, salient to the topic at hand today a little bit in terms mm-hmm. of base building and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um and then I stopped playing Valheim because I got back into Guild Wars 2 in a big way. And You're on an MMO kick. I really am. I, like, MMOs were kind of my childhood, so now I'm sort of... I'm getting, I'm getting back in touch with myself, man, you know? Uh, <laughs> namaste and whatever. Sounds um, good. Sounds good. So you abandoned yeah. Final Fantasy. Yeah, kind of. I, I mean, I got to a point in it where I'm... Like, I'm in I'm in the first uh, expansion pack basically, and I'm I'm at a point where like leveling has gotten kind of slow, and I don't want to go back and like level uh, you know other classes because that's just grinding and it's just kind of boring. Um, so yeah, I kind of fell off of that, um, which is probably for the best because it was. Let me see. I played about two hundred hours of that over the past two months. Yeah, so it's a lot. That's a lot. I think you've logged enough that you you know that's just fine for you to take off. But so tell me about Valheim. I've been intimidated as heck by that game because it looks to me like. So I played Rust. I played a few of the others that are kind of like that, Um, but that one looks like it's like full on Bloodborne style hardcore. Oh no, no. So it it it's probably the kindest survival game i've ever played what that's not the yeah, way it looks so relaxing it's so it, relaxing it, yeah it, it is it is it's really forgiving it gives you like debuffs when you die and stuff like that it's it's yeah. very casual like um okay so you don't have to okay so it's not like it's not like a traditional survival game where you have to like eat and drink and like you can freeze to death or whatever um it's not at all like that um the in 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 canon you're technically already dead uh so you can't starve you can't you don't even have to drink water like it's not a thing um it's it's really more like an action game with survival elements kind of 
tagged onto it, but the survival elements are also really good. Like the the building system is physics. Well, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. The stuff oh that I'm seeing on Reddit and the stuff that I'm seeing yeah. online that, that that people are doing is absolutely stunning. Let's let's move on. Cool, Jesse. What have you been doing? I I'm in the exact same boat. Um, I had a friend that was like, "Dude, you gotta play Valheim." And the last time we recorded the uh, uh, an episode. He actually gifted it to me while we were halfway through. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll play it with you. And uh, ah, nice. I, at the time of me saying this, I have almost 84 hours on it, telling as hell. I have very rarely played a game that I love so much. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, Kiwi, what have you been playing? Well, I actually need a BOE2 playthrough. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I saw your uh, I saw your character post. <laughs> I love I love that character design, man. Just this like weird stooped, like scruffy looking misanthrope. Yeah, it was a it was a how would I describe him? A man who lo- has lost his will to do much, and he also worships Udika, and he was a mage. I met group that is very low maintenance, so. so most of the stuff happened automatically. I only had to control my mage. Uh, uh, it was a it was a very short playthrough, and once again, I I was faced with the fact that the you know, ending is somewhat what it is. It is what it is. Uh, but I also played Tyranny playthrough. It was the first time I completed Tyranny. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I I hear amazing things about that game, writing wise. Yeah, it's Tirani has like four different distinct playthroughs that you can do that also have like some variations inside them that you can do. It's very like tactical, tactically focused in combat, and I did the rebel route. Where basically I just said, "Fuck it, I'm sovereign." Nice. And, and yeah, it's a it's a different game from other CRPGs. It's refreshing in a way. It's but it's it's kind of short and it ends abruptly. But I recommend it still. Excellent, uh, Lazar. What have you been doing? Well, um, aside. From like all the other things, I have been reading. Uh, well, Kivi last time uh, uh, mentioned some books, so I'm gonna mention the book as well. Uh, Brandon Sanderson's uh, The Mistborn series. I don't know if you if you're familiar with yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that's, that's really big right now, actually. Uh, I I, lo- I love it. It's really good. Uh, not just, you know, like, te- uh, writing from a technical standpoint, as in, you know, narrative and, uh, you know, a story that is, uh, you know, hard to, hard to tell what will come out in the, in the end, but also, uh, like structural things like the, the magic system is really clean and it makes a lot of sense and it's, uh, I, I really love it yeah. and it's very I- different from and it's very different from you know from your your usual D and D slash Elder Scrolls kind of magic, which is which I really appreciate. 
Then I see. Yeah. Doesn't he have another series, or is it just that one? Yeah, yeah he has more series. Uh, no, he has another. He has another series as well that I haven't. I'm not familiar with that. So, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm only just. Like... I'm. I'm. I'm at the second book of the Mistborn trilogy now, and you know, like it's just really good, really good. Yeah, I I've also read the Mistborn original series and some other stuff written by Brandon Sanderson. Yes, his magic is clean, but for me, it's like just. It's fantasy physics that's over, like, sometimes it feels it's mm -hmm. over uh, explained and it doesn't feel like mythical magic anymore, but that's all, that's taste. Uh, yeah, you're right. Some, yeah, sometimes it's very limiting. You're right. Oh my God, very good. <clears throat> yeah, Sanderson is, is all about the magic systems, but... Uh, uh, to all listeners, I have to tell you that Brandon Sanderson, it's young adult fiction. If you want that, read it, if you yes. don't. So light reading. So sometimes people might be, you know, even <clears throat> even if you're not a young adult, you may just want something quick and easy. So There's, there's one one thing which, which tells if something is young, young adult if, or not. If the main character is... Ever have sex? It's not a young adult. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, there was uh, the uh, the His Dark Materials series. Okay, what about Twilight? Did they ever have sex in that? I don't oh, know. They had they had lots of sex in that. Well, they had at least one sex in that. <laughs> okay, they had one sex. One, one, one sex, Interesting. I went up to a brothel asking for exactly one sex, please. Hello, How I'll many sexes would you like to have? <laughs> and based if on how we... many you ask for, that's how much of a bonus you'll get. <laughs> I would just, I would just walk up to a brothel with like a hundred dollar bill, just slap it on the table, and be like, "What'll that get me?" If you, if you do it by yourself, is it half a sex? <laughs> Interesting. Ooh. And do you get the same bonuses or different bonuses? You know. <laughs> You, could, you you might get minuses. Yeah. Oh no! Not if you do it right. Debuff. Debuff. Yeah. Um. So next would be parenthesis. Have you been playing anything recently? The only thing I can really talk about is that I've been playing some uh, Hearts of Iron Four, uh, not the the base campaign. Oh but the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh cool. But but some of the um, the alternate history mods. Uh, um, I, I've always said that. I mean. The Paradox uh, Grand Strategy Games are one part strategy game and, I don't know, at least for me, it's one part strategy game and one part story generator. And these alternate history mods are interesting to inhabit, to see how a lot of these people, the developers, have put a lot of work into making this world, if not believable, then at least enjoyable. Uh, I've been playing some uh, Kaiserreich, as, uh, that's the one where like, Imperial Germany won World War One. And I've been playing as, as uh, the Union of Britain and seeing how syndicalism was crushed around the world, sadly. And, so, and so, no, sorry? Do you typically like the, the war games like that? Uh, no, actually, that's been one of the things that kept me from it and why I haven't played the base game because I actually don't think war games are terribly inspired. I've, I've seen enough scenarios of of the Eastern Front, of the Western Front, and so on. I'm just, my eyes just glaze over. I'm not good at them. I haven't played them, but the concept just tires me. I mean, no offense. If you like it, more power to you. I'm, I'm just 
no, 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 please. I, I have. The, I saw the History Channel devolve into the Hitler Channel, into the, the oh, Space yeah. Alien Channel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but was Hitler a space alien? Discuss. No. <laughs> so Hearts of Iron is interesting because I've been in. I've played it on and off since the very first one, um, and uh, I I do like it. Um, but it's also one of those where I really feel it, there's, I feel like there's a, you have to really invest a good amount of time to really get something out of it. I don't know if you feel, if you've experienced that or not, but mine is just that to really, really take advantage of the game and what everything that's in it, because it's so incredibly detailed. Um, you kind of have to really jump in and all completely with the game. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I started playing and I was all like, okay, well, I, I build up my factories and my infrastructure and then I build units and oh, oh no, oh, 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 every, oh, oh, all my units are dead. And, yeah. they don't do, and they didn't do anything while they were alive. Oh, okay. I, did, I don't understand the game on a mechanical level, but I, I greatly enjoy it. Uh, the, the, the fiction that these uh, mod developers have put in. I, I played through Kaiser, I should said. I look forward to playing through the Red Flood, which is basically no one won World War One, not even the victors. Everyone is demoralized. And then one day when, when the sun is shining and I'm feeling bright, I'll go in and play uh, the New Order, uh, the last days of Europe, where the Nazis won World War Two, and it's the Cold War and everything's bad. Yeah, it's... See, go ahead, Jed. Alt history stuff is always just so fascinating to me like uh, i mean especially i mean you know world war world war ii branches are obviously super compelling because the world would be extremely different nowadays if anything else had happened during world war ii as opposed to what actually did happen so i'd, I'd be super interested yeah, to see how that thing plays out yeah yeah i mean i would i I'm also into board games, so I play a few, uh, not of the hardcore style, but, you know, I, I back in the day played Axis and Allies and um, Risk, of course, which is like super boiled down uh, yeah. military game. But um, there's some, they've really expanded that genre um, into some pretty spectacular uh, tabletop games. So you can really get into that kind of stuff if you're, if you like it. Um, I have been playing Oblivion. Uh, I went back. Oh, yeah, I, I know. Uh, the, I had heard about a mod uh, that you could install that brings it up to 4K. And uh, I wanted to try it. It's not, I mean, it is a little deceptive. Uh, the texturing was, they'd done a lot of rework of it and it's beautiful. But, I mean, it's it's still... You know, there's so certain limits to Oblivion, but um, just wanted to go back and do that a little bit. I don't know what struck the chord to do that, I guess, because I stumbled upon that post about the uh, the mod. Um, and then I found something interesting. I don't know if you guys have heard of that uh, this, but um, I believe it's called Sky Oblivion. Have you uh, yes. Yeah. My my short time life goal is to have enough money that by the time sky oblivion comes out to have a gaming pc okay i love it i mean i've been watching they, their website skyoblivion.com is amazing the stuff they've been releasing more stuff lately it's basically uh, a community project um where they're using the skyrim engine to uh 
remake Oblivion uh, and from the ground up um, instead of just applying new textures to the old program. Um, and it's pretty phenomenal what they're doing. And there's actually, if you're ever interested in reading more about it or learning more about it, there's a pretty inspirational story behind it uh, about the guy who is, is one of the people in charge of starting the project and uh, his girlfriend uh, unfortunately passed away and they were both into the project together. And he's kind of, it's kind of for him a passion project now. He's, he's finishing it for her. It's, it's a really interesting story. Oh, cool. You can find stuff about it online, but Sky Oblivion looks pretty interesting. But anyway, moving on to our topic today, um, I'd like to thank Parenthesis for giving us this topic. I think it's an amazing topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, management in games and role-playing games, probably more specifically. Um, and uh, I think I'll let Parenthesis, if you want to start us off, how would you define this style of play? Well, it is, uh, for me at least, when, when it's obvious we are dealing with, with a, something I would call a management system in a game, when you are put in charge of, of something, if you're put in charge of a keep or a trade company or a space station or a kingdom or something, and you have to manage it, you have to take decisions, you have to uh, I don't know, build a town here and then put a mill there and, 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 it, and it enact these laws and, and tax this and that. And, and you have to go about and do this while presumably also doing the rest of the questing that will save the world. You have to take care of these minutiae and appear at court or headquarters and whatever for deciding whether this or that should be done. So it's it's it can be two things, right? It can be what you know we're getting at today, which is where it's kind of a part of another game, um, and then there's of course games where it's it's all on its own a management game. We're not really talking about those today, just to clarify for the listeners. I mean, we know that simulation management style games right now are all the rage. In fact, I would almost argue that it's probably the most profitable. Uh, game mechanic out there for any game, and that is just management in general. If you think about farming, uh, food, city, relationships, roller coasters, dinosaur parks, hospitals, evil layer, football, kingdoms, dungeons, you name it, there's management games for all of that stuff and more. Um, but in more particular, uh, what to what Parenthesis said, this is kind of where you're tasked with something or it is part of a game. Um, that you're playing where you're either it's on the side or they incorporate it maybe into the progress of the game um, to see how it goes. Uh, I thought that maybe we would start with some examples that come to mind. I wanted to mention a couple of ones and I'm going to let Parenthesis mention some of the ones that he had in mind. Um, I wanted to focus on tabletops because I, I remember back in the day um, playing different versions of tabletop games where management was involved. And a lot of people don't even uh, know that that's a possibility. There, there are several. Um, if I went back to the oldest one, I think that I can remember is called Legend, Legends of Anglier. It was a fate system. And um, yeah, and it was interesting because you you basically created uh, an organization like you created a character with stats and skills like influence, administration, arms, trade, diplomacy. 
Um, and those are systems that you would manage throughout the game while you're still playing this, this fate uh, game. Um, there was one called uh, Rain, which I think is still pretty popular. Basically, it contains detailed rules for companies and organizations ranging, ranging from anything from like a gang to an empire. And you would basically do these organizational level interactions as a part of the game on the side. And there was a whole system on how that would affect the gameplay um, and how you would do that. There's another one that I'm not as familiar with, but I found online called Adventure Conquer King System, A-C-K-S. It's a tabletop D&D uh, &D style game um, where each class has a kind of stronghold, sounds familiar, that they can oh, yeah. build and develop once they reach a certain level. Fighters get fortresses, thieves get skills, wizards get towers. The whole point of me mentioning these tabletops is most of these came about before we started to see them in electronic games. And that's kind of where I think the throwback comes from in that it shows that this style of play uh, was popular long ago, but also it shows that that is something that people who design games understand is that as a human being, we have a innate need, I feel, to want to build things. I don't know if that's putting it at a very simple level, but I think we all want to uh, do something, put our energy into something, see the benefits of it visually and stat-wise or however, um, and that gives us a lot of gratification. Um, so I know that there's a ton of video games that do this. I wanted to pass it off, parenthesis. You had a couple you had mentioned to me um, that I thought were really interesting. Do you want to talk about a couple of examples of this in some modern games other than Pillars of Eternity? Well, yes. I mean, the one that comes to my mind first because I'm playing it is Pathfinder Kingmaker. Very quick, early on in the game, you end up ruling the stolen lands and you have to manage it. And there, there's a basically you can go to a, to a screen where you see the kingdom and you can sort of actually, yeah. There's an entirely management system there. We also have uh, Neonites 2, where you put in charge of Crossroad Keep, uh, get that up and running and while adventuring. Then there's the, the expansion pack to Neonites 2, Stone of here, where we, you're put in the position of authority of a trading company that you have to manage and that is taking place uh, post uh, the main campaign of Neonites 2. And then there's Baldur's Gate 2, which it's kind of the precursor that, that leads into the precursor of, of pillars where you are put into in charge of various strongholds uh, that depending on your class. Yeah, all of those I, I remember and have played. Um, was it you, Jed, that was a big Neverwinter Nights 2 fan? Oh my god, yeah. That was the game that was the game that got me into like D and D in general, and that's just become a lifelong thing for me. Um and actually, come to think of it. All of those games you mentioned have very strong ties to D and D. I mean, you know, obviously Baldur's Gate, obviously Neverwinter Nights, Pathfinder is, you know, uh, an open game licensed version of D and D, basically. Um, and something that's interesting, Sora, is uh, well, everybody, I guess, is is that um, in original D and D, and I'm talking 1974 uh, Ch chainmail version, or. <laughs> Uh, Are you talking about before that when it was just a military game? No, 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 no. I'm talking about I'm talking about chain like the chainmail uh, offshoot, right? The right, chainmail right. branch that that became D and D uh, before fighters were fighters when they were fighting men. Um, 
at level nine, and this is written into the rules, fighting men become barons, uh, build a castle, and start earning tax. That's fascinating. I so, had not remembered that. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. So, so this is like, I mean, the whole management system aspect of RPGs is as old as the RPG as well. Yeah, I I was trying to think back in my mind of some that popped in my head uh, just from my plays of games that did this. I, I know that there's, an, well, I, I think this is a more modern one would be Fallout 4 where you're, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a difference between management and building mechanics, I guess, because I yeah. guess in Fallout 4, it was more building mechanics, but you did get to assign jobs, right? And you update, you upgraded your defenses after you built your settlement. Um, you know, yeah. It's yeah, you can, you, you had like items that you built and you could assign people to man those items. So like you could assign people essentially to gather scrap or man like uh, guard towers and stuff like that. You know, I don't, when I when I think about it, I don't really no. consider that I, like when when we when we were talking about the concept for this episode earlier, I, I wasn't really considering that as like a management system. That didn't spring to my mind. Right. So um, like Hearthfire and Skyrim wouldn't really be management. That's right. more like a reward for uh, grinding. Yeah, and I think I think to me what makes uh what makes a system feel like a management system in an RPG is um, the application of your character's philosophy uh, towards the the greater world, you know, like like you take your character, you play with your character for a while, uh, and like you know, you don't have any like big responsibilities outside of you know the responsibilities that quests give you, and then you know, I think a management system answers the question of okay, well, but how does this character? What does this character look like when he's in power? You know what impact does does he have he or she have on the world when he's allowed to? I remember uh, back when they were talking about Skyrim before it came out, um, and th they were really pushing that they had taken the. This was what they said because in Oblivion, you you know you had the whole well, and in all of the Elder Scrolls game, you could the merchant, the mercantile was one of the areas you could focus on. Um, and you could really, you know, that would basically mean that you, you would, uh, you wouldn't pay as much for stuff. You would get more from selling stuff. You know, it was a real simple, right. that's not management, but I know when they advertise Skyrim, I swear, I remember this, them saying that they've really taken that and run with it and that you're going to be able to have your, run your own business. And, um, <laughs> and, and so yeah. it was a selling point for the game and it's a total disappointment if, you know, it's just a skill branch in the game and it pretty much does the same thing it did in Oblivion. Um, you don't really run a business. Um, so there is no management in there, but yet they, they twisted it to make you think there was, which shows to me that that developers know that that's something people are looking for. Well, in Skyrim, it's not even like mercantile isn't even its own skill branch. It's like, it's like compressed into speech, isn't it? Oh, yep. yeah. That, I think that's, you're right. That's really all the speech yeah. tree actually does. Yeah. It's <laughs> super gross. Like, uh, it's, it's so unfinished. Sometimes I feel like I would, I would love yeah, to I, just I like mean... take a broom to Bethesda's cutting room floor and like just cobble together a game from that. And I feel, I feel like it'd probably be really good. I, I I get why they cobbled it together because like, if you ever play uh, Oblivion, the mercantile skill was awful because it took forever to level up. It did. So, 
it getting pushed together into speech means that there's two uses for a skill, but they didn't make the perks interesting. Yeah. So I think what I was trying to, what I'm trying to get to is for, from our, for our listeners is that you can have a very broad definition as, you know, uh, I guess you could argue that um, Bethesda had for uh, Fallout and Skyrim, or you can be more specific, kind of like what Parenthesis was talking about with uh, Pathfinder Kingmaker, which obviously is a stellar example, I think, of of how this is built into a game. Um, anybody have any other games that come to mind that, that they remember use some sort of heavy management mechanic uh, that was maybe part of an RPG? Um, I was actually thinking of Kingdom Come Deliverance, uh, which uh, that's that must be like a favorite of mine, apparently, because we <laughs> mention it. I, I mention it almost every single episode. But in the From the Ashes DLC, you had literally a town that you could build, and it, it was very light management systems, but it was it had really heavy consequences, because <laughs> um, it was basically choosing which buildings you wanted to build and generating enough money to do it, and uh, allocating resources from suppliers in the game. So, like, if you wanted to build a certain, uh, a certain kind of building in the the town that you have uh, to manage, uh, you actually had to go and get supplies for that building from like uh, quarries or oh, cool. yeah, or from charcoal burners and stuff like that. It was. It was really in-depth for it literally just being a DLC that they tagged on. I always thought about, for example, the, you know, the inventory systems is basically like an implemented, you know, management system of of RPGs, Uh, you know, uh, depending on if you did it, if if the game did it well or didn't do it well, uh, it could suck or it can be, it could be really good. You know, because man- management systems pro- probably only makes sense if it's uh, like if it has an impact on the game, and uh, you know, inventory systems are kind of uh, you know the the things that are that are definitely you know interwoven with the gameplay. Yeah, which brings up a point. Um, I, I kind of a question popped in my head. Would you argue that? every RPG is basically a management simulation. Ooh. Uh, I mean, if, if you want to go really like meta, like really f- philosophical into it, then it's probably, it's probably a collection of, uh, management systems. Like, you know, there's the inventory system, there's the leveling up system or, you know, the, the character uh leveling up and giving out skill system there's the uh right you have traversing on the map right there's the traversing on the map system there's the combat these are all these these can these can all be considered many management systems in a in a way or two right you have skills talent equipment crafting building reputation i can think of lots of these things that are kind of uh burned into most rpgs um, that we all love. I mean, I love that part of the game, you know, developing, quote unquote, managing my character as they grow and progress. Um, I mean, maybe it's taking it to more of a simple level, but um, 
when we're speaking about things like sliders and dials and stuff, there's plenty of those in, in managing just your character. It just depends on how complicated the developer made it. Well, I think that's part, part of why management systems have been a part of RPGs for such a long time. Like, it's, it's like I said, you know, it's kind of the natural progression of uh, the like character management of an RPG is, it, you know, you take this character, you play them for a while, you get to know who they are, and then you you know, you uh, you prom you give them a promotion, right? <laughs> How Mass Effect 2's approach to the management this time, I didn't really like it. Because, uh, because basically there was this, uh, you know, you had to basically, like during the whole game, upgrade your, your, your ship. And then at the end, based on how many upgrades you did, uh, your companions could have died or could have survived oh, yeah. right. or not. I totally forgot but, about that. Uh, but, you know, Me too. It was just but, you know, that's, that's like, yeah, that's like, yeah, exactly. Uh, taking up boxes and, you know, it's too simplistic. It, plus, nobody told you about this. You know, if, if I had known that, then, you know, I would have ticked every box before, before I go into the final mission, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I then, mean... you know, but, but, then, but then, you know, I, I went into the final mission and then my companions kept dying and I was like, what the hell is going on? And then I went to Wikipedia and I was like, oh, okay. Well, so, and then so almost to... at that point, yeah, you have to go back, right? To Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I was going to throw this out to parentheses because I think it's an interesting question um, that that he posed. And I'm just curious how you, you would answer it, parentheses. Do you feel... Can management systems really work in RPGs if they're not the main focus of the RPGs? Do, do you feel that they're more of a distraction or just included as a selling point? I can answer in a quote. Perfection is achieved not when there is nothing more to add, but when there's nothing left to take away. I feel that if a management system, at least an economic management system of organizational management system, if it's just tacked on, then it, I think it'll inherently be bad and distracting. It may be a wonderful side game. I, I love economic management games. It's like catnip to me. But when I'm playing an, an RPG, I like actually to have have things fit. So I like not playing any game, I like to have them fit. And often they I feel, at least in some games, I feel they are just tacked on to have a, a bullet point on, on the Steam page. It's there for, to tickle that power fantasy. We all love that to believe that we could be in charge of a hot dog stand and actually run it successfully. <laughs> Good example. And, yeah. I have a quote also. All right. Another settlement needs our help. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. I mean, I feel like, uh, for, for good examples, I feel like, I think, I think Pathfinder Kingmaker and Neuron Knights 2 did it right because they made the management central to the game, or at least a natural part of the game. In, in Kingmaker, well, it's your country. All, all, everything you're doing is to manage your kingdom. Sometimes you do it mechanically. Sometimes you go out and, and resolve things on your own because it's a quest. It makes sense. In, but didn't they make it also in uh, voluntary that you can actually make the management automatic. Oh yeah, you can do that. Kingmaker is a very customizable game in terms of like difficulty. So there, there's an option that's basically just like, yeah, this whole part of the game, don't worry about it. <laughs> Based. 
Yeah, but you could still <laughs> dig into it, right? If you if it's something that that, that jived with you, you could. Uh, where did I come up with the word jive? Where if it's something that you like, you could uh, you could jump in and, and take control of it, right, Princess? I never considered it, and I because I wanted to try it, and it, it works out fine for me. So it did not. It, you may you may be able to to detach from it, and that's fine because with it it works. Or if, if you don't have it, then you just have question. So right, I don't right. really. I, it doesn't being there doesn't attract. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. And in in Emily Nights too, again, it was it was central to the plot, mm -hmm. and there, there was this management part uh, which worked, uh, and where we built up crossword keep, and there was this switching part where you you know did the other things while uh, while your advisors advised in the background. It's it's when it becomes this vestigial thing that uh, I'm having problems with it because it just feels well, yeah, it, it's just a bullet on the steam page. It's not really working. Uh, which basically describes how I feel about it. Well, and I think, yeah, and I think on, along with what you just said, I think that there, by how integrated it is into the game is probably how much development is focused on it. Like how many human resources do they put on that? Do they say, Bob, you know, you don't have anything going on. You already did the uh, horse armor. So why don't we let you, <laughs> why don't we let you do something like a DLC where you build a house? You know that that is one approach, but then you have developers like I'm sure for for Kingmaker it was it was you know they had the whole team on it. You know everybody was on board, and um, yeah. you know I think I think that it starts there probably from a developer standpoint. You really have been playing Oblivion, haven't you? That was oh. like you didn't even you didn't even hesitate with the horse armor bit. Yeah, uh, Bob and his horse <laughs> armor. Um, I did want to shift gears a little bit because I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about pillars. Um, and if you, even if you haven't played pillars, you can you can chime in here. But um, in pillars one and two, they both were different, and they both had uh, management mechanics in the game very much so. Um, and uh, pretty interesting ones. I mean, whether you like them or not, I know that Pillars 2 gets a lot of uh, negative, but I, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, but in Pillars 1, um, does anybody want to take the lead who's played it and talk about uh, what strongholds are and how those work in the game? I mean, so yeah, go ahead. Um, in the Pillars 1, at some point of the story, you stumble upon a, another watcher who sits in this one ruined stronghold and then you basically take the stronghold for yourself and it's you have to invest some money in it so build, building stuff renovating and then you uh then you have to do some stuff like you know answer some people who come to you and ask for stuff and there are some quests that are linked to stronghold and then at some point there's some other guy who wants that stronghold from you and you have to fight and there's also some some minor or major lore points linked to the stronghold and the crown below it and in a way it's linked to the story in some way and that's good uh, but um, I'd say, as a management system, system, it didn't take so much of your time. But yeah. there, there were still some of those, like, another settlement needs your help type stuff that are time-linked. 
Yeah, it it really wasn't as well fleshed out as I I feel like it should have been. There there are definitely a couple story beats that make it feel a little more important. Um, but uh, you know, I, well, let's see how much how much how spoilery do we want to get here? <laughs> uh, we don't have to. I mean, you can talk about it without spoilers. I think um, I know what you're, I know where you're headed, yeah. but uh, I mean, yeah. You know, it's a stronghold. It's not. It's not really a spoiler to say that you have to fight to defend it. Sometimes. Right. 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 Um, but it, 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 the investments that you make in it feel almost completely divorced from that aspect of, uh, of defending it. I mean, you know, you pretty it up with your with your investments, and you know, you make it look nice and and befitting a you know lord of the land and whatnot. But, um, your actual, you know investing in like the barbicans and shit that doesn't really feel impactful it just feels like you're kind of ticking boxes and paying money for no real payoff yeah i feel like this was one of those things when they were first developing the game because it was a passion project among people who love games and who love that type of game um, which did lend itself to things like the old Stronghold game. And I, there's, I think it was called Stronghold. Uh, uh, I don't remember, but there were several games where you were building castles and things like that before Pillars came along. Um, so I imagine they were sitting around the table and said, you know, let's do this. We all love this. Let's put this in here. And they probably had this whiteboard full of all these crazy ideas and all this great stuff. And then I imagine when the rubber meets the road that when it came down to it, they're like, oh, yeah. Um, and that's what it felt like to me. It felt like it was a great idea and they were really into it and they had all these notes because you can tell when you, so basically there, when you talk about the strongholds, you, you have different elements in there that are pretty interesting, but seem to be a little bit half baked. Um, almost like they either didn't have enough time to flesh it out or they didn't, they just didn't want to invest the time in it. Um, I think, uh, just from memory, they had, uh, like two little, wasn't there two, there were the, uh, uh, attributes of your stronghold was like prestige. Is that right? And secure yeah, security sure. was yeah, one of them. Prestige, I think. Yeah. 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 And then you could do things like, uh, hirelings, which would then increase your, your security or increase your prestige and prestige was kind of like, I believe how attractive your settlement was or, or your stronghold was and security was how well you would be protected against bandits. And they were interrelated because the higher prestige you had, the more bandit attacks you had. So they, they kind of fed off of one another, but I remember there being, some pretty unique hirelings in the game, which was kind of interesting. Um, and there was also the system where it, uh, hirelings were attached to barracks. And again, tell, tell me if I'm wrong about any of this. Prisoners were attached to the dungeon, right? You could build a dungeon below your stronghold. Right. And then there was some really cool mechanics about the prisoners. I mean, they had, you actually had cells and they had guards and, um, a, you could visit them and ask them if they were a good boy or a bad boy kind of deal. And then <laughs> if they were good, you could release them. And if they were bad, you could punish them. And again, there were some, these weren't just general people with general names, like prisoner number one, prisoner number two. These were actually fleshed out characters um, that you would meet in your journey. So basically a prisoner would be an enemy during combat. You would 
um, I forgot how exactly it happened, but I think it was during the fight when you got them to a certain health or something, uh, you were able to choose whether you wanted to make them a prisoner in your stronghold or not. Um, but it shows me that there was some thought put into it. Like this did mean, this was meaningful to them as developers. It meant something to them. Um, but not enough to go all the way. Right. Cause like, yeah, you're right. You can take prisoners. You can put them in the, you know, put them in their cells and whatnot. But like, to me, that always just felt like kind of a dead end. And uh, to be fair, I didn't, I probably didn't fully explore that whole gameplay path. Um, but it, I don't know, man. It, it it didn't feel like you could do much with them besides set them free or give them a lashing. Right. <laughs> Which was all you could do. At least all I can remember you could do. I mean, I don't think you could do anything else. But they, they had names. And the, each character, you know, well, of course they had names because you met them along your journey. Right. I'm yeah. trying to remember. Does anybody remember any of them? Um, oh, not off the top of my head. No clue. Nirid uh, was one. Um, uh, Esmer, uh, I can't remember, but they, they, the same thing with your hirelings and that they, these were distinct people, but again, like, I don't want to overdo it. That was how it worked in Pillars of Eternity and kind of like Kiwi said, it was, you know, it was there and it was something you could do, but this, and kind of like Jed said, it was not really fleshed out very well and it was a management mechanic it is there you can go through and play it and 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 work on your stronghold and you can make it better and you can defend it um but it would feel kind of empty i think uh for most people almost to the fact that it goes to what parenthesis said and that i would even go as far as to say i don't feel that the game is better because of the strongholds does anyone disagree with that uh, you know, I don't know if I would go that far, actually. I, I think that I think that it adds something, at least in terms of flavor to the game. Um, you know, it could it have been done better? Absolutely. I mean, you know, there, there are there are, uh, a number of RPGs like I think Pathfinder Kingmaker does this kind of thing way better. But then again, it's also a lot more focused on that aspect of the game. Um. But I think that not having had Cadnua would would make Pillars One feel, you know, owning owning land in uh, in a fantasy world always makes you feel a little more connected to it, right? Am I am I alone in that? Am I off base? No, no. I agree. Because it gives you something to defend. It gives you something to care about. You know, the the it's the game saying. This is yours. Do whatever you want to with it, and you know we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, you know test you on how good you are at at managing it and and defending it and whatnot. And like that's fun usually. And um, I, yeah, and it's a good argument for it. Uh, my only thing to say is, and then just to push us to pillars two, in that in pillars one it was very much an option. I feel like in Pillars 2, it was, it was, I think it wasn't an option. I don't think you, right. you had to, you had to do it. So in Pillars 1, I don't think you had to. I mean, you, Pillars 2, you had to do it. Um, well, 
when you say that, what what exactly do you mean? Because you're talking about the ship system, right? Well, that's that's the only management I remember from Pillars yeah. Two is is managing your ship. Um, but I mean, it does have well, a more significant impact on gameplay than your stronghold in Pillars One. You know, I don't necessarily know that I agree with that. Really? Well, okay. I, I agree because be, here's the thing. If if you don't like if you don't give food and food and drink to your oh, okay. crew, for example, then they will revolt and you know like your g- gameplay changes. That's why you're kind of forced to you know take care of you know like always have supplies for your ship, for right. example. So if you haven't, okay, okay. so if they haven't played, does someone want to just basically tell them what we're talking about? Um, somebody want to review the ship system real quick? Yes, please. Anybody? Okay. So in Pillars of Eternity 2, you are in the Deadfire, a archipelago setting. And so obviously the way you get around is by having a ship. You're given a ship at the start of your game, which is bought for your own money, so it's legally yours. And then you can up, you can change the ship to, a, to another kind of ship. You can assign people to, you hire a ship hand, you assign to various posts. You have to ensure there is food and water for everyone. And then there are some, um, what, what was it? Some scripted interactions where you get these, where you get these kind of uh, black and white illustrations with choices while you're at, at sea, and that, and the choices you've made around provisions and people and so on, uh, they latch into that system. And and then of course you can go and, and attack other ships, where there is either a turn-based mini game where you can fire at them to sink them, or you can just engage them directly. Where you just you know uh, swing over in the best uh, Errol Flynn style, <laughs> See, and that, that that's that the good. thing uh, that that I thought we were kind of talking about is the the whole ship upgrading, ship combat kind of thing. Because I don't know about you guys, but and it could have just been the version of Pillars uh, Pillars Two that I played, but I was able to pretty much never engage with, <laughs> with ship combat. Just literally by saying every turn, just, hey, guys, move forward. Guys, move forward. Move forward. Move forward. Okay, board. Interesting. I never did that. That's interesting. Oh, my God. It's like you could just skip ship combat. You don't even have to upgrade your ship most of the time. Uh, Well, at least I didn't have to upgrade my ship for most of the game. Well, that makes sense why that didn't wasn't meaningful to you because upgrading your ship it has direct effects on bonuses in combat. It also affects your travel. Um, but if so, if you're not in combat, I can understand why, you know, the yeah, management I mean, side of I it. Think, I think you can always keep the ship combat and board straight away. Uh, for me, I, well, I only took the ship upgrades that uh, made the ship faster. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, I, but I also did get the menagerie for all those cats and dogs that i found oh i did that too yeah because i I mean who who wouldn't they're sweet fluffy animals you gotta take care of them well i think i mean for if you've if as far as management goes i i really liked it in poe2 i i I mean you could definitely argue as to whether it's you know necessary for the story or not but i feel like the the managing your crew i really like the fact that when you you're you start with your core crew but you, you know you can actually give your your crew actually has jobs they're not just crew member one two or three you can have like a, a surgeon a cook uh 
a deck hand. There's all there's all sorts. It's well thought out. And then as far as supplies, um, you're also in charge of the morale of the crew. So that's another management mechanic. You also have things to deal with, like the the health of your sails, the health of your your hull, the um, the morale, as I mentioned, um, you might have injured, injured crew members, which is where your, your surgeon comes into play. Um, I felt like it was similar to the stronghold, but better implemented. And they put a little more work into it than with all the details than they did in the other one. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to, you, you might be convincing me a little bit now because the more I think back on it, the more I'm the more I'm like, OK, you know what? I actually interacted with that system kind of a lot. I just didn't. <laughs> it felt so such like such an organic part of gameplay, I guess, that I didn't really consider it like a management system. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, it wasn't like Cadnua where it has like it, it's, uh, you know. Uh, it, it didn't feel like uh, um, a stronghold, you know? Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get, I get where you're coming from. Um, I think that the, the one thing we can say is that this management system was integral to the development of both games and that it was not, I don't feel this was something that was tacked on at the end. I feel like this was something obviously in dead fire. It wasn't because that's the whole game. Oh, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, I feel like the stronghold, for example, I really feel like that was something that they, everybody loved to do in games. And they're like, Hey, let's put this in here. It just got to the point where at the end they're like, okay, well, all right, we've done enough. You know, I don't know that we can do any more at this point. We got to release the game. Um, it just kind of felt that way to me, like it was half finished, but it was a good concept. So with those two examples in mind, I guess we can push forward into the discussion of Avowed and what sort of, I mean, this is, this is their DNA. This is the company. So they've done it twice in a, in a pretty significant way. How would you see it played out in, in Avowed? Because it is a different kind of game. Definitely, we know it's a different kind of game. But what would you, this is all speculation, of course, what would you think you might see? Because I do think they're going to include something. I don't think that they'll ignore this completely. And I don't think they'll go on the base level of a Skyrim. I think that, that they'll have learned lessons from that. Um, does anybody have any thoughts on what they might see? Well, what I would love to see is like um, a sort of like army management kind of system. I, well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mountain Blade. I've talked about it a couple of <laughs> times. And I'd, I'd love to see something like that for Avowed, where you sort of build up this, uh, this, this force of, of troops and you can devote them to, you know, one cause or another, to one kingdom or another, or just be a complete wild card. That sort of management system has always been my favorite because it, it, it allows for so much freedom in... Uh, well, I mean, it allows for so much freedom, period. You know, you can have a stronghold or just be a roving band of, uh, of mercenaries. You know, you can devote yourself to a, a certain kingdom. You can, uh, you know, make your own kingdom. Uh, or, again, just be like kind of out in the world, a bunch of wild men, you know? Yeah. Anybody else? Some, something you would want to see uh, in Avowed as far as management goes? I um I 
when it's a CRPG like Pillars of Eternity, I would I'm okay with uh, management systems a little bit more in those games because you spend a lot of time in menus. Uh, so it, I think that lends itself towards management systems. With uh, the approach they seem to be taking with Avowed, I would prefer for those kinds of things to be a little less intrusive, uh, simply because. Yeah, simply because I mean it's it's a completely different system. I, I think that being involved in menus a lot takes out of the immersion. And when you when you go with first person perspective, you're choosing immersion as your as your preferred mindset for the player to be in. So I'm I would prefer to, for a management system to be less intrusive. But knowing very little about Pillars of Eternity in general. Um, I'd be okay with something similar to a, a ship management system like what you described in uh, Dead Fire. That that sounds really really cool. Honestly, um, I just like I just like ships um, in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can I can get behind that because uh, it, as as my as my um, as my girlfriend plays Dragon Age uh, Inquisition again. We go back to that. Um, she is. A lot of times put off by the fact that you have to constantly level up your character while you're in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, like between two battles or you're, you're in the middle of exploring the mm. environment, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, uh, like, um, I, I really love how she gives me an insight of, you know, uh, being able to take a step back from from what I know about, uh, you know, RPGs, um, and, and and then you know have have another like have a, have a have a third perspective about it or a new perspective about. I think that's uh, a really yeah. interesting perspective because that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, where you could, where the programmers made it to where you could set certain things in games on autopilot, and that that. I know there are RPGs. I just can't think of one off the top of my head where you can do that for your character as well, where you can say, um, you take care of this. Um, well, I know in Assassin's Creed, they do it. You know, you can say, oh, no, man. no, you take care of this. I'm just going to fight. Um, and yeah. actually Neverwinter Nights 2 does that, or, or it has that option where you can select a, a, a build, a pre-made build package. And I think Pathfinder uh, Kingmaker does as well. Yeah, that's how the old Republic lets you just like auto level. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, I, I, I get the appeal of that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just the play right. style. Of course, that was my first re reaction as well. But you know, all, for some reason, auto level up in Dragon Age Inquisition is horrendous. So, <laughs> so, I, so I couldn't, I couldn't just, I couldn't just, just let let it see. Let, like, I couldn't just sit by and and. And watch how you know uh, uh, a ranged rogue gets the ability to you know close up on the enemy. You know, it's like, come on, like. Well, I think I think, and since we're on Inquisition, um, has she gotten to the <laughs> the the I forgot what it's called, where you can you're granted a base of operation. Does she have that yet? It was like a the was it called the Skyhold? Or the hold. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. crumbling she, castle that you're given, yeah, she, she, and you have to rebuild oh, yeah. and um, renovate it. Actually, actually, she's been she's been enjoying the the garden part of it. Okay, I figured. <laughs> she yeah, just loves, she just loves <laughs> <fun>. yeah. 
But that's an interesting so, um, one because they do have a, a game progress basically unlocks new areas and functions. Um, most of the decisions are decorative, mm -hmm. like they are in Skyrim. Um, but you did increase your influence and power as you developed it. So mm -hmm. it was a management system that did, does have, at near the end of the game, some influence. You can also, I believe you can recruit mages yeah. and templars. I would be it's for true. that kind of system. Like in Avowed, I would love to see... Um, I totally uh, respect what Jesse said about, uh, you know, a different style of game. I agree with that. But I, but as a player, I would like something, I would like them to go the other way. I would like them to lean towards uh, like the Hearthfire and Skyrim I would, or the Skyhold and Dragon Age. I would like to have a quote unquote stronghold. Um, I would like to be able to, if I wanted to, to develop that. Um, but I would want them to, I would want it to be more than just, um, uh, if you're going to do something, just do it. Don't, don't, don't half it. Just, just do it. Go all the way. I mean, whole asset, whole yeah, ass, whole don't, ass. don't yes. give me like in Hearthfire, make me think I'm going to be customizing my house. I wasn't customizing crap. You basically, yeah. You, I had like you had a list of things you could build, and your only custom customization option was just not building them. Right. It, do you want a chest? Okay, here it goes. It's here. Uh, right. You want to move your chest? No, forget it. <laughs> Too bad. This is where it goes. Um, and you only had three houses. So I think that taking uh, something like that, I, I think they did. Skyhold was a little bit better than Hearthfire, but I think taking that stronghold from pillars of eternity one maybe even pushing it forward to where you have i think every game i think it helps to have a home base i mean like a place that you call your own you guys mentioned it before where you're giving ownership of something um but why not allow me more customization of that i'm not talking about turning avowed into the sims 5. i'm talking more though about letting if you're going to give me ownership give me ownership let me decide where the kitchen is. Let me decide uh, how big it is. Let me decide how much resources I want to put into it. Let me decide defenses, if it's going to get attacked and how much I want to put into that. Um, you know, just, 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 just my thought. Does anyone else want to chime in who hasn't spoken about what you would want to see in Avowed? Yeah, uh, if uh, Avowed is going to be more Woodica-centric, uh, as been kind of hinted at, then I actually like to see some sort of uh, what's to say some kind of uh, some kind of it's not court and judgment system where people who are potential oath breakers or something like that comes forth and you have to decide whether they're guilty or not and their sentence. Mm. I mean, this is mainly, this is mainly content and not as much you know systematic, but I think it would be very appropriate, and I do like a good uh, court. Uh, seen in RPGs, they're always. Uh, they, I haven't seen a bad one. They're always well made. That's a good point. Dark Knights too, especially. Yeah, no, that that I haven't thought about that before. Daggerfall had like courts and stuff like that. You could actually like plead guilty to crimes or get off if you nice. had a, a high enough speech skill. So that that actually is a really good idea. That's something that you don't see a lot. And you could get all of these sort of interesting uh, dilemmas. Well I, well, I did this. Why did you do it? Well, I did it because of this good reason in the moment. Oh, well, but, you know, rules are rules, and you make this oath and that, and that could, uh, could play into 
the theme. Yeah, yeah. Kiwi, you were mentioning something. Did you have something? Animancy as a profession. Interesting. Or, or an animancy faction that allows you to do animancy. Hmm. That would be really cool, actually. Like, I, I could see, like, you know, having maybe a choice of, uh, of of guilds or factions to sort of uh, take command of. Pillars One okay. kind of played with that a little bit with the Crucible Knights and the dozens, but didn't really. What I really want from factions is to is to, like like they did in Poe too. Like, uh, if you choose an, a faction and you do stuff for them. It excludes some other factions from you, so it's not like Skyrim right. where you do everything. Right, more like Morrowind was like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was at some point there comes a conflict between Thieves Guild and Fighters Guild. Yeah, nice. And what was really cool about that is um, the great houses and the guilds all kind of um, they kind of butted heads a lot, and. Uh, because basically each great house was a guild. So like I think Veteran is essentially the Fire's Guild and Hualu is essentially the Thieves Guild. But what was really cool about that was that if you wanted to play both guilds, you'd have to do a quest for one and a quest for the other. Uh, and you constantly be undermining each other. But <laughs> <laughs> But if you did too much for one the other would hate you and wouldn't let you do anything else. So it was uh, it was just this constant battle of of uh, keeping them both happy. So that I always thought that was really interesting. I'd like to see more like more conflict within the guilds like that and be, having to manage your your reputation with both. That's a good idea. I do like what uh, parenthesis said. I'm I'm all on board with that concept. I hadn't even thought of that. I love that idea um of the passing judgment of the because it kind of fits in with what we think you know or we have an idea might be the uh story or plot um i wanted to jump to email questions um the we had quite a few people who are listening who have some great questions uh, thank you for sending your emails to aboutcast at gmail.com. We really appreciate knowing that you're listening and your comments and even some of your suggestions. I've been writing those down and we're going to try to do that. Um, the first question I have is from Stephen Holtz. Um, it says, do you want Avowed to be built for modding from the ground up? Should modding be a day one thing for the community? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that would probably be uh, yeah. be best. Um, I mean, I, I not at the expense. Ups. Yeah. yeah, not not at the expense of other you know, systems and features in the game. You know, I don't want them to treat it as like, oh, we don't have to finish the game. The modders will do that for us. Bethesda. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But I, also don't think, I also don't think Obsidian believes in that ethos or ever really has. But at the same time, like. I mean, the only reason Skyrim is still talked about, I think, for the most part, is due to modding. Oh, it's 100%. fantastic. Yeah, no, because that only extends the game's lifespan. I mean, look at Morrowind. Morrowind is from 2002, and people still release mods for it. So you you essentially, for all intents and purposes, extend your, your game's life indefinitely. 
when you allow modding because there will always be a dedicated fan base to that, I think. But also, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, uh, but 10 years ago, roughly, when Skyrim came out, um, if I remember correctly, the, the Skyrim creation kit actually took uh, like several months to come out after that. Am I wrong about that? I think you're right. So even Skyrim, you know, yeah. the poster child for a game that's like kept alive by its modding community, uh, didn't have that out of the gate. Nope. It was like it was a month or two. They still managed to get um, they still managed to get nudity mods in before the creation kit even oh, existed. Well, of course, they yeah. do. that'll be the first one for avowed. Yeah. yeah. Horniness can never be stopped. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have another question. This is from uh, John uh, Starum. John Starum. Sorry if I mispronounce your name. Uh, it says, I would like more. Con this is interesting. I would like more control in avowed. Hmm. Listen to this. He says, please give me the ability to affect the game at a base level. Base level. For example, I would like the ability to create my own custom subclasses and have yeah. those subclasses mm -hmm. affect the performance in the game. What do you think? Well, uh, that kind of thing, historically, is really hard to balance. Mm -hmm. But I'm also really into it because I love just breaking a game over my knee. Well, I mean, if they had some sort of system where, uh, yeah, you could, and you, could, you could create a subclass that had some benefits, but for every benefit there was a negative yep what i what i was thinking he was talking about was like um okay instead of being like instead of choosing like okay i'm a fighter uh uh subclass whatever and then i'm uh you know dual classing in uh, uh chanter some other subclass what i was thinking he was talking about was like okay i'm gonna take this fighter skill i'm gonna take uh this druid skill i'm gonna take this oh yeah you're probably right Maybe I don't know. It's kind of hard to say, but I I I love that that kind of system in a game um, where you can just completely customize your character and make these like crazy monster builds that have no right to exist. Well, and I think that's something a mod could address, right? It kind of fits oh, in totally. with that first question. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I think it's just infinitely more fun to be able to customize your character a lot more than because because I mean even like. In Oblivion, as many hours as I spent in that game, I've never once used a pre-made class. I've yeah, always, no. and I'm sure I've made plenty of classes that <laughs> I'm sure I've made plenty of classes that, down to the the skills, the major skills are the exact same as one that's pre-made. But I just, it, it's I can read through like thirty descriptions, or I can just make my own. So here's the problem with that kind of with that kind of design. Um, it by its very nature sets up uh trap builds that is you can if all right if if your uh character building system is diverse enough to be interesting then there is usually also the danger of making it so diverse that certain options uh certain builds are like unable to beat the game or unable to that's perform in combat. Yeah. That also brings to another question, like what kind of uh, uh, character creation is in about? Is it like like 
like Skyrim that you're master of everything, jack of all trades, or Morrowind style, which is more more like what you choose at start defines more. I hope it's more Morrowind style, personally. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think with like Outer Worlds and 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 stuff, you know, Obsidian's definitely been leaning more towards that kind yeah. of. Uh, that kind I would of even, yeah, I would even add like like where you choose a character class at start. Did he would or wouldn't? Wouldn't, I think. Would. I oh, would like. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Going pure. Or double double classing or something, but not like you just do everything if you want. Right, like the Skyrim model. Right. I agree with yeah, that. Because yeah. that, that gives you the opportunity to be molded somewhat more by the world and like mm -hmm. have your have your abilities be uh selected uh on the fly you know like um and that and that's just kind of cool because you get to you know at the end of the game you get to look back at your ability tree and, and be like oh man i remember when i when i picked this thing to you know so that i so that i could have an edge over like this particular boss or whatever um yeah yeah, yeah I like that kind of I like that kind of character building on the fly. It's and I, I like it too because it allows it allows a lot more organic growth. But I think it it has its downsides because I always the player will ultimately choose the path of least resistance. I think more often than not, that's why stealth archers are such a big deal in Skyrim because it's it's a path of least resistance. You don't have to figure out magic or spells or anything like that. You can just sit in a corner and shoot someone, and uh, so I. I think that it's... must have been the wind. <laughs> <laughs> he says with an arrow sticking out of his skull. Oh, every time. Yeah. Every time. But that's that, that's what I think because you end up more or less just creating a meta for ev that every player will find eventually, and um, I, I think it makes it harder for people to actually have fun with other builds. But that's just me. So it's funny that Jed Mandu mentioned, uh, and I think, or maybe it was Kiwi, Kiwi mentioned the Outer Worlds, but the next question has to do with the Outer Worlds, which I thought was appropriate. So the next question is, do you, do you think Obsidian has learned anything from the Outer Worlds development that we may see in Avowed? For example, what if they had tactical time dilation in Avowed where you could slow down the world around you. This was in Fallout in the form of VATS. Anything else from Outer Worlds you would like to see put in a Um, Wasn't that like a, made a wizard spell in POE2 where you, you can slow time for enemies? I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's. I mean, it's it's different in a in an action RPG for sure, mm -hmm. but uh, I mean, I think that was such. Honestly, that was one of my favorite mechanics in in the Outer Worlds. It just it it allowed for so many cool moments that wouldn't have been cool otherwise. Yeah. So I think that uh, I think that pairing that with the more probably more frenetic uh, combat and avowed in terms of you know having. Being pro I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, of course, it's going to be primarily, you know, swords and sorcery type combat because that's sort of just what you have in Aura. Yep. Uh, I think that'd be really cool, you know, having to compensate for for like arrow drop and stuff, but in slow motion. 
Yeah, I don't uh, think that they'll go the route of VATS because that was because I see VATS and TTD as very different. VATS was more yes. um VATS was core, VATS was combat, VATS was heavy duty integrated into combat, right? Yeah, and it, it kind of it helped blur the line between action and RPG. Yeah, because it essentially turns the game into a, a turn-based RPG if you utilize it correctly. Yeah, yeah, but uh, if you play as a watcher in uh, a world, then I'd want to see the kind of the watcher-specific spells that you have in BOE. Oh but, yeah, you know, in a way that they're actually useful. Yeah, because I hardly ever use them personally. Yeah, that's a good, I think that would be a good carryover. I think they can learn a lot from their games and other games um, that they've done. Um, and they'll probably port that those ideas. Everything they make is a compilation of what they've done before, really. Um, so good question. Thanks for the questions, guys. Um, we're going to wrap it up. I just want to give, uh, if anybody wants to give a shout out to where they can be found, um, speak up now or forever hold your peace. I'm on Twitch, but I'm not really doing anything. So, yeah. <laughs> Twitch.tv slash Jedmandu. I might start streaming again sometime soon. I don't know. Please do. I want to I wanna join one of the, well, not join, but watch one of those streams um, where you eat food or okay. you pair food with whatever you do. All right. I'll do That's it a great you. idea. I'll do it for you, Jesse. Oh, I'm touched. And Jesse, you're on Twitter, right? Yes. Twitter at Todd is my mom. And then we're on Twitter uh, at Avowedcast. And of course, you've given your, given your email and we have Avowedcast.com, the website. Um, but you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, thanks again, everybody, for joining me today. I thought it was a great conversation. Uh, thanks again for the topic, parenthesis. I love the topic. Um, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Well, no one likes living with regret, so... Atsura would be so proud to see me making friends. We'll leave you this week as we do every week with the sound of Justin Bell. Enjoy. Shh.